welcome again. My name is Tony Weeder from Liberia. And we're talking about objective truth exists and is knowable. That is the Christian truth. We can know it. It's not something hating. We cannot go find it through a witch doctor or practitioners or at a tomb. No, God has revealed it in Christ. Now listen to this. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It is a kingdom of light. If you have time today after class, just take uh, Matthew chapter 5 and read it. I think those are one of the most beautiful passages ever in scripture. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who bring peace. Blessed are those who suffer for righteousness sake. On and on, and Jesus is just talking about the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. Here, now, and ready to break into this world. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The kingdom is here. Ready to break through the dark ages of Africa. The dark ages of uh, Asia. North America, everywhere. Next, God's new call out community is in the struggle with the power of darkness Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 we see that the call out community and the corner near the church is called out uh, if you have time for light reading I call it bathroom reading read uh, St. Uh, Augustine book on the city of God where he contrasts God's city with the city of man as he stand in Algeria watching room burn and he penned these words about the city of God and the city of man but we are a community the Ummah this is a real Ummah let the Muslim animist let the Muslim knows that God have created an Ummah that is perfect is God by his love not fools these are the things we need to preach and teach as we engage them Moses and the Egyptian magicians. You remember that? This it always puzzled me as a Liberian and also as an African. Okay, Moses produced frogs. What's the best thing to do? Get rid of the frogs. But no, they produce more frogs. Isn't that a little dumb and silly? That's not what it's supposed to do. Elijah and the priests of Baal. Remember that? Power. Power. It's not just power in countable truth. Elijah faced the prophets of Baal. You see, how long will you waver? And this is really to you, especially my brothers and sisters from the same continent of Africa. How long will we waver between two? You remember when Joshua crossed the Jordan River, faced his people and said, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house who will serve the God of heaven. We have to do that. And Elijah challenged these people. We should not be afraid of the power of darkness. Because we have a God that is greater than those power. And we have to confront and engage them. Be aware of that. And then we have, when people are aware of the two, two, uh, two choice. On the part, it's necessary. First King 18, 21. Two choices. 
the power of God and the power of darkness. And when they see that the power of darkness is greater, I mean, the power of God is greater than the power of darkness, they will make choices. It is important to remember that the power is not ours. It's always, always important. Remember Acts chapter 8, Simon, the magician, who wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from Peter? You remember that? No, God's power is not for sale. God will never, in Isaiah, he said, my glory will, I will never share with any person, any man or woman. God will not share his glory with him. John 16, 10, Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, Colossians 2, 10, 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. God's power. Those are the things we need to understand and do. All right, we were talking about the power of uh, God and important to remember that the power belongs to God and his glory he will never share with us. Uh, we, are, uh, we are kept by our position in Christ. Keep that in mind. We are kept by our position in Christ. We overcome by his victory. It is not our victory. Uh, Shaphat, you remember in Second Chronicles 12, 12 verse 20, Jehoshaphat, look, he said, he turned to his people to say, the battle is of the law. See, there are vast army coming. And Lord, there's nothing we can do but our eyes are on you. Remember that? That's how we should engage in, in folk Islamic evangelism. It's God's power, not ours. Keep that in mind. It dangered in this kind of evangelism uh, of witness with folk Muslims that we give incomplete view of Christian life theology. It includes suffering as well as victory. A theology of suffering. That's the mistake we make at times. We forget that part. A danger in this is that Muslims, to give incomplete view of the Christian life, we have called to suffer with Christ. Um, yes, there are victory, but I also suffering. I love honey, but to get a honey, you have to past the bees at times it can be tough today as I speak to you there are Christians in Egypt who are in jail because of their faith today as I speak to you there are Christians in Eritrea they put them in continence 100 degree heat and they are there suffering today in India there are Christians in jail today in Afghanistan there are Christians who are suffering for their faith there are Muslims who have converted to Christ who are right now in jail. And if you have time, just close your eyes and pray a silence prayer for those men and women. In Nigeria, there are Christian brothers and sisters whose uh, who churches and homes have been uh, burned. Today, somewhere in Senegal, there's a young man, woman sitting there going hungry because of the faith. So let us keep that in mind. It is not just about victory. It's also about a theology of suffering. Let us keep that in mind. When Peter said, I'd be ready always to give an answer. That answer we are giving, we are giving it in the context of suffering. Dallas Wheeler, that's what he said. It is in the context of suffering that as people persecute you. I know a young man who became a Christian in Liberia. The parent put him out. He slept with friends, Christian friends. Everywhere he went, they were chasing him. He was afraid to drink water, to eat. He has to be careful because they might poison him. 
Uh, they took his wife and children from him until he can come back to the, uh, to the Islamic faith. He went from place to place for seven years. Guess what? He prayed for his wife and children. And he suffered. But in seven years, the wife became a Christian along with his children. And that family were united. Brothers and sisters, read Hebrews 11 and see how men, in fact, the writer of Hebrews, he said, I'm out of words. I don't even know what to say. How can I say, talk to you about men and women who were sawed into two, lions who killed them? Today, we don't even know our enemies. It could be the laptop computer we have right before us. It could be other things, you know, technology, pornography that we struggle with. But these are the things we have to face. We should keep in mind during our witness that uh, the world is still affected by Satan's rule and power. Keep this in mind, especially for our brothers and sisters that live in the West. Uh, people are suffering all over the world. The flood in Pakistan recently. Muslims and Christians died there. The earthquake. In fact, right here in America, what just happened uh, recently with the tornadoes going all over, people are dying. Right now, as we speak, there's war going on in Libya, Tunisia, uh, Egypt, uh, Syria. A 13 years old was killed yesterday or day before yesterday in Syria. All these things, let's keep that in mind. We should keep in mind during our witness as we talk to them. Uh, let me just warn you also how you do Muslim you know, evangelism. Uh, know that to become a Christian, to become a Christian out of Islam, you're losing, you're not just coming to Christ. You might lose your family, your culture, your people. But again, the joy, I think it's in Romans 18. No, Romans 8 verse 18. Paul said, how can we compare the present suffering with the joy that is in heaven before us? That is set before us in heaven. How can we compare that? We cannot. But now we suffer. And that's what Peter said. He said, for a little while, you will suffer. He says, suffering is not internal. It's temporal. I'm sure you have said this. Oh, when I get to heaven, I will ask God about, you know, why this? I don't think so. I always plan. I say, you know, when I get to heaven, I have to ask God about all this suffering. Oh, I will ask this person to answer this question. I think when we get to heaven, guess what? We'll be so excited. Can you imagine all the friends that are going ahead of us? Just to greet those friends. And then those that will be going up with us through the rapture. You know, I just imagine going to the rapture and thinking, I see friends, we all just hanging up in the air, going up, you know, maybe, I don't know, coffee, drinking coffee, or you know, whatever you like, drinking and on your way to heaven. Someone said there will be golf in heaven, so you have to practice how to swing your golf clubs. I'm working on that. Christ himself, keep this, in, Christ himself, as he disarmed the powers by his cross, Colossians 2.15, and experienced suffering. You see, that's the example Christ has left. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He became like us except for sin, suffered like us, and was tempted, experienced suffering. The apostles, especially Paul, experienced much suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 
through 10. In fact, I have a sermon on that passage that said that. Why carry it on? Paul said they beat me. Can you imagine? Five different times. Now, imagine this with me, okay? Five different times, Paul was giving 40 latches minus one. Uh, those who can do math, no. 39 times five. On the same back, they beat him. He went hungry. He was stoned. Now, let, let me explain that here. When they say stoned, no, they're not just take, like, throwing snow or ice cream or throwing these little stones at people. These were bricks. The stone, the intention was to kill him. But yet, over and over, Paul would get up again and again, go back to the city to witness to the people. Remember in uh, Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer? Remember in Acts 17, uh, the Bereans and the Thessalonians? Remember in Acts 17, uh, the Artinians? Paul had a message. And this is where, uh, especially, especially in Africa, we have forgotten the life of the mind. You see, we have to challenge Muslims, whether it be a folk Muslims or uh, popular Islam or high Islam. We have to go to the marketplace of ideas and confront and engage the theologian of Islam or the enemies or the priests of Islam with the gospel truth. Therefore, we have to understand and know the culture. Without an understanding in the culture and of the people, we are lost. I talk about the food that I used to uh, eat in Ethiopia. I think I was in Cairo, Egypt, and we were having a meeting. Um, bless, you know, again, trust me, I love Americans, uh, but my fellow American just went and took across his leg and showed the bottom of his shoes to the Egyptian. That's for everything. Just one word, just one mistake. So this is where we need to understand the customs and culture of the people that we are ministering to. Another thing, a need for people to be disciple to grow. Instant gratification. It is not about instant gratification. It is about discipleship. You grow. Um, have you ever seen a pregnant woman? Uh, I think if I remember, since I have four kids, take about nine months. And during that nine months, the child is growing slowly. After nine months, the child is born. Boy, you have to clean that child. You have to get up in the night to care for that child. You have to be there when that child takes the first step of walking. Discipleship takes time for them to grow into full maturity in Christ, taking their part in the ministry of the body of Christ, Therefore, worldview evangelism, worldview discipleship is necessary as we spread the gospel of Christ everywhere. And we'll talk about worldview discipleship in the next section as we go along. But we need, let me come on that a little bit here as we come to the conclusion of this lesson. A need for people to be disciple. Today, discipleship is one thing that people don't do. Uh, missionaries are so, so much oriented to results. Instant results, or oh, 80,000 came to Christ today in this African country. 10,000 came to Christ in Indonesia. 40,000 came to Christ in, let me tell you a story. Do you know, 
1994, 80% of Rwandese were Christians. Did you know that? And there where the genocide took place. 80%. Do you know that 96% of Christians live in Congo, Zaire, or the Democratic Republic of Congo? Guess what? From 1996 to 2006, over 4.5 million people have been killed in the Democratic Republic of Congo by the Congolese themselves. Yet, they are 96% Christians. Did you know, in Liberia, the country that I come from, funded by Christians from this country, did you even know that Liberia is the only country besides America that have within a constitution that says, we the people? were about 60% Christians before 1989. Guess what? Christians, folks that went to Bible school with me, took machetes and guns and were slaughtering people. Why? Lack of discipleship. Lack of understanding of the truth of Christ. They were immature. I think in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer said that instead of you eating meat at this time, can you imagine? Uh, just, just picture me, okay? Picture me, you coming to my house, okay? You come to my house, and you ask my wife, hey, by the way, where's Tony? Oh, he's inside. He said, may I go in there? He said, oh, well, he's eating. And then, he said, yeah, I just want to talk to him. And then you come, and I'm lying in bed with baby bottle in my mouth. What will you think of me at this age? I'm still on milk, still on baby bottle. Not mature in Christ. Take in. Why do we want to disciple them? Because we want for them to take their part in the ministry of the body of Christ. We have to be missional. So as we reach the folk Muslim, they in turn, when they are disciple, they go out and make disciple. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You remember that? Reaching those who are mature passing on God's word, and so they can be part of the ministry. So as the church moves south, Asia, Africa, Latin America, these places we need to disciple. Why? Because we want for these men and women to be part of the mission force. I'll tell you a story about the students I work with in Ethiopia. We're teaching at uh, the Evangelical Theological College where we are now raising our own missionaries. Guess what happened? These students from the church in Ethiopia set aside missionaries, trained them, and sent them to Pakistan because the physical structure of the people, the Ethiopians, are exactly like the Pakistanians. And so they were able to go there. Let me give you another uh, encouraging story. In Lebanon, do you know the largest missionary population in Lebanon? No, they are not Americans. They are Ethiopians' house workers who the church have discipled in Ethiopia and now sending us house workers to Lebanon. You know one of the largest missionary black in Kuwait and Yemen and Saudi Arabia? The Filipinos going there as house workers. But they are Christians. Why? Because they have been discipled, grow into full maturity in Christ and taking their part in the ministry of Christ.
Therefore, worldview evangelism is very, very important. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 6. Read that when you leave from here. And so let us go today, minister to people, comfort and encourage them, disciple them. Let us pray. God, you came down to this earth, died for us. You say, as the Father have sent me, so send I you. That's the missional statement you left with us. May we gravitate to that message today and go everywhere, be it in Asia today, be it in Africa, Middle East, or Latin America, or North America. May we take that message in Jesus' name. Amen.